Welcome to the worship service for the Ackland Avenue Church of Christ for Sunday, May 10th, 2020. This morning I'll be reading from John chapter 14, verses 1 through 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father, living in me, who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Let's pray together. Holy Father, your Son told his disciples that they should not let their hearts be troubled. Father, right now we see everything through the lens of the coronavirus, and it is difficult for us not to feel troubled. Father, we pray for faith. We pray, Father, that, that we believe you when you tell us that your house has many rooms and that you are preparing rooms for us. We pray, Father, for faith in the future. Father, we also pray for hope for the present. We pray, Father, for a vaccine. We pray, Father, that this disease will be mitigated. We pray, Father, that, that this will come to an end. We pray, Father, for those people who find themselves hungry or poor or without a place to stay. Lord, we ask that you bless those people. Father, we are mindful of your son's words when he says that whoever believes in him will do the works that he has been doing. Father, we pray that you open our eyes to opportunities to to help each other, to help those in need. And we pray, Father, for wisdom. God, we thank you for your son, and we thank you for the promise that he gives us. It's in his name we pray. Amen.
feel free to stop the recording now and worship the Lord. Today I will be reading Psalm 31, verses 1 through 5, 15 through 16. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Keep me free from the trap that is set for me. For you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies, from those who pursue me. Let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day that you have blessed us with. And please be with us every hour of every day. And please heal those who are sick in these times. And please be with those who are struggling now. And let us all get through these uncertain times. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, now if you'd like, pause the recording and uh, worship God. Good morning, church. A few weeks ago, Beth heard about a meteor shower that was taking place one night, so we took the kids for a little nighttime stargazing. And as we looked up at the stars that night, I remembered some of the first times that I went stargazing. Specifically, I remember a summer trip my family took to the northeastern part of the United States, and I remember one night we were in the state of Maine, and I saw my first falling star. I'll never forget it. On that same trip, my grandfather, Gramps, he always wanted to point out the Big Dipper and the Little Dipper. So at the various campgrounds we were staying at in our family RV at night, he would always, he would always help me find the Big Dipper and the Little Dipper. And both of these are constellations, so kids like collection of stars, and they look like ladles or gourds. And he showed me how to find the Big Dipper, and then he would show me how to trace the outermost star of the Big Dipper out about five times the distance to find the North Star. That star, Polaris, forms the handle then of the Little Dipper. And by finding all that, you can determine which way is north and therefore east, west, and south as well. When he would do that, he would inevitably tell me stories of heroes like Harriet Tubman who would use star navigation like this to find freedom in the north from slavery. He told me how she helped others find freedom on what became known as the Underground Railroad. These runaways and their allies kept looking up 
to find the Big Dipper, the drinking gourd. And by looking up, they found their freedom and hope. By looking up, they found strength and purpose to get through hard times. This morning, our reading comes from the book of Acts, specifically Acts chapter 7, if you want to go ahead and turn there. We meet Stephen, a Grecian Jew who had been selected to help solve the delicate widow food distribution crisis of Acts chapter 6. You may remember that story. Full of the Spirit, Stephen performed great wonders and signs. Some grew jealous and suspicious of him, but he didn't back down. They brought false charges against him, but he didn't recount. They threatened to kill him, but he kept going. As they did kill him, he never wavered. He even forgave them. How does a person do that? What makes someone do that? Stephen kept looking up, and he saw something that changed everything. Our reading is Acts chapter 7, verse 55 through 60. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragging him out of the city, and they began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. The book of Acts serves as Luke's sequel to his gospel, the book of Luke. It picks up the Jesus story after the resurrection and ascension. The sequel actually begins with a retelling of the ascension. That's a fancy word for Jesus going back up to heaven. The crucial questions of Acts, at least in the early chapters, are this. Where did Jesus go, and what's he up to now? And that's not too different from some of our big questions. Have you ever wondered along these same lines? Where is Jesus? And what's Jesus doing right now? The storms this past week brought these questions to my mind. So we began in March with the tornadoes. We've been safer at home for seven weeks now in Nashville. And then we had perhaps the greatest power outage in the history of the city. It's okay to admit it. Like, it's okay. You were probably like me. Okay, God, I trust you. But where are you? What is going on? In Acts chapter 2, we see the Spirit come down at Pentecost. So Peter adds up the ascension, Jesus returning to heaven, and the Pentecost story. He adds them up together. And his sermon in Acts 2 answers the two great questions. Where is Jesus and what's Jesus doing? Peter tells us where Jesus is at. He answers the what is God up to question. And it's important for us. Uh, I'll explain it this way. When I first left home, I noticed my parents did something for a number of years. Every time I'd get a new apartment or I'd move to a new place, they would try to come visit me sometime that year. They wanted to see my new place. 
and they'd often say things like, I'm so glad to see where you are. Now when I'm back home, I can think of you and visualize where you are. When we talk on the phone, I'll be able to picture what you're doing. My parents would always say stuff like that. That's a nice feeling. I'm that way with other friends and family members. I like to visit people where they're at so I can picture them, even when I can't see them. A few years ago, one of my brothers moved to Kansas City, and I just had this deep desire to go visit him because I wanted to picture where he was at. Uh, I remember last summer, a few of us went out to Colorado, and one of the things we did is we visited with Micah and Rebecca, and it was fun to just see them in Colorado and kind of picture them in Colorado. That's a good feeling to be able to picture where someone we love is at. So pay attention to what is going on in these Acts readings, because these readings are for our comfort. The purpose is for us to be able to visualize Jesus, to see Jesus, so we can picture where Jesus is and what Jesus is up to anytime we think of him. So Peter offers these answers. And we should note this, by the way. Kids, this is figurative. Um, What he's about to describe, if you go into outer space, you're not going to find what Peter describes. This is a metaphor. It's true. It's completely true. It's just not literal. Okay, so the first question, where is Jesus? And the answer, he's at the right hand of God. Second question, what is Jesus up to? Answer, Jesus is pouring out the Holy Spirit. So to make his argument in Acts 2, Peter references Joel chapter 2, Psalm 16, and Psalm 110. And for just a couple of minutes, real quick, I'd like to discuss that latter verse, Psalm 110. Psalm 110.1 is the most often referred to Old Testament verse in the New Testament. No other Old Testament verse gets as much attention in the New Testament as Psalm 110.1. And this should at the very least pique our interest. So it says, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The verse offers a little confusion up front in that first line with the two different lords. In the Hebrew language, these are two different words. So our English really doesn't do it justice. Notice that the first lord is all caps. That signifies that it's the Hebrew word Yahweh, the holy name of God, the I am, the name God revealed at the burning bush. The second lord is simply the Hebrew word Adonai, meaning master. So what does all that mean? Literally, David is saying, Yahweh says to my master. Okay, Yahweh, the name of God, says to my master. So at Pentecost, Peter interprets this as God the Father, so Yahweh, says to Jesus the Son, in essence, Adonai. God the Father says to Jesus the Son, This is an Old Testament prophecy about God's purposes of the coming Messiah. The Messiah has a mission, and this is the mission of the Messiah. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. That's the mission of the Messiah. That's the mission of Jesus. What does that mean? Um, Picture a royal courtroom, and I want you to picture a throne that is higher than the main level, You have to climb, at the very least, several steps to get up to the throne. 
and it then has this effect. When people come to meet with the king, they are at the level of his feet. This serves as a reminder of who's in charge, right? Because when you come, you're, you're looking at the king's feet, not looking the king directly in the eyes, right? You, you are lower. We are lower than the king. And the kings had helpers and assistants. A king's main assistant would sit beside his right hand and offer advice and counsel. He would also take orders and execute the will of the king. Uh, you're probably familiar with the phrase, right-hand man. The musical Hamilton has a song by the same name. Uh, so imagine it this way. The king turns to his right-hand man and says, How are things in the kingdom? And if things are going well, the right-hand man says, King, all things are at your feet. To put something at the king's feet was to put things under his will. In essence, then, an expression for kingdom rule or shalom, peace, is basically, all things are at his feet. So at Pentecost, Peter shows how this prophecy is fulfilled in Christ. After dying for our sins and conquering death, Jesus returned to heaven. He sat down at the Father's right hand, and he's putting all things at his feet. Jesus is in the process of conforming all things on earth to the will of God. That's what we mean by the kingdom. The kingdom is where what the king wants actually happens. The will of the king, putting things at the king's feet. Jesus is making all things new. Jesus is bringing shalom to the earth. Jesus is putting all things at his feet. How? How's he doing that? By sending down the Spirit. By showering the Spirit down on believers, Jesus equips disciples to do the will of God. And as we do the will of God, by the power of the Spirit, we show ourselves to be the hands and feet of Christ. So where is Jesus? At the Father's right hand. What is Jesus up to? He's pouring out the Holy Spirit. In other words, he's working to spread the kingdom, the reign of God. The will of God is expanding. But we have to realize that's a process. It's not instantaneous. The kingdom is in progress. And a few scriptures tell us that. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2 verse 8 tells us, In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not yet see everything subject to them. And haven't you had that feeling recently? You believe that God sits on the throne, and yet our experience in this life, not everything is at full subjection to God. Not everything happens perfectly. We don't see everything at the feet of God right now. Some things are, some things aren't. But rest assured, Jesus is moving things that direction. And someday Jesus will return to finish it all, once and for all. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 24-27. 1 Corinthians 15, 24-27 says, Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. And this is the key verse. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. 
death has not yet been placed at the feet of God, but it will. Jesus conquered death, so we know that ultimately death has been defeated. But we have not yet experienced the defeat of death. It's in progress, but the outcome is certain. This is the direction of human history. Jesus putting all things at the feet of God. This foot metaphor shows us our future. And family, this is what Stephen saw. As they threw rocks at him and killed him, he saw Jesus at the Father's right hand. And this reality gave Stephen the power to live like he did. It's where his resolve, his unwavering resolve, came from. I look at it this way. Stephen was always looking up. No matter how things appeared on the ground, he didn't let that shape him. Stephen didn't worry about who seemed to have money or power or influence or what was going on or how hard things were or the immensity of the challenges. Stephen kept looking up. And when he looked up, he saw Jesus at the Father's right hand. And by looking up, he always reminded himself where Jesus was. Stephen knew what Jesus was up to, and that gave him confidence, peace, and hope. Stephen kept his head up. Years ago, I think it was my first year or so probably at Ackland, we had a speaker come one night from Room in the Inn. I think it was Jeff Moles. Later, Paul went to work at Room in the Inn, became friends with Jeff. I think Jeff moved to Kentucky to work with the church a year or so ago. But Jeff came and spoke this one particular night to tell us more about Room in the Inn. We were already involved, but just to kind of do a check-in and tell stories. Um, and this is how I remember the story he told that night. One day, a large group of unhoused folks crammed into the day center at Room in the Inn. And it was a dark and dreary day. Things felt frantic and stressful. And one gentleman, he seemed especially troubled. He was agitated. And he became more and more so as the day went on. And then finally, at one moment, at the top of his lungs, he yelled out, Where is God? And the room fell completely silent. That's a big question, isn't it? A question I've asked after tornadoes, after the virus first came, after the storms the other night. Where is God? The room felt silent because everyone has asked that question. But no one knew exactly how to respond in that moment. And finally, on the other side of the room, another gentleman yelled out, God is here. God is right here. Everyone looked back and forth between the two men. And the first man, the one who had been adjective, he let those words soak in, and then he sat back down. In that moment... At that time, on that day, that answer seemed to be enough. And then everyone went back to what they were doing. That answer seemed to soothe the room. Where is God? God is right here. Stephen had a similar experience. He saw Jesus at the Father's right hand. He saw Jesus pouring out the Spirit. So follow this. Because Jesus poured out the Spirit, 
God is with us. God is with us through the Spirit. So where is God? God is in heaven, and God is with us. Jesus is at the Father's right hand with God, pouring out the Spirit. So God is in heaven, and yet God is also with us. Now, God is working to make things new through Jesus and through the Spirit, and ultimately through us. That's what's going on. There's just one unanswered question left in this, in this scripture. One more question. Psalm 110 says, sit at my right hand. But in Acts 2, Peter also talks about sitting. But here in Acts 7, Stephen sees it slightly differently. When Stephen looks up, Jesus isn't sitting. He's standing. Did you notice that? It's curious, isn't it? Why is Jesus standing? We don't know for sure, but I've heard some guesses. Maybe Jesus stands out of concern. Maybe Jesus stands as a sign of respect for Stephen's martyrdom. Maybe Jesus stands as an allusion to his desire to act on our behalf. I could be wrong, but I like to think of it this way. Jesus sits at the Father's right hand, pouring out the Spirit. But when things are really tough, when his children are going through some really hard stuff, as Stephen was here, Jesus stands. Family, with all that we're experiencing right now, I picture Jesus, and Jesus is standing. That's what I see. And it's encouraging to be able to picture where Jesus is, and to visualize Jesus even when we don't feel like we're 100% with Jesus. Jesus is standing. Do you see him? Look up. He loves us. He cares for us. We're not alone. Where is Jesus? He's at the right hand of God. What's he up to? He's pouring out the Spirit as he makes all things new. Jesus works to make the world right. Things may seem crazy, but keep your head up. Do not let the chaos overwhelm you. Jesus is standing. Please take a moment to, uh, to worship God and to prepare your hearts and minds uh, for communion. As a kid, the story of Stephen's stoning was difficult for me. To stand firm in one's faith, even in the face of persecution, always made me uncomfortable. Growing up, Stephen and other martyrs from history passed the big test in my mind. The test I read from Matthew 10-33, in which Jesus says, But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. I wondered how I would answer if ever in such a crisis as Stephen. Stand firm in my conviction or shy away from it. Now most of us in the U.S. will probably never face such harsh persecution and death as Stephen. Yet faith still requires sacrifice. The test, I later realized, was not a one-time extreme occurrence, but 
more of an everyday decision that requires courage, like choosing to forgive your enemies as Stephen did. A decision that requires loyalty, like choosing in whom or in what you'll seek refuge. A decision that ultimately requires help from the Spirit, so that we long for spiritual food and drink that develops into salvation, as Peter writes. And while we aren't around the table of the Eucharist at 900 Ackland Avenue today, we eat that spiritual food and drink in this communion meal, wherever we are, as we realize even in our little faith that this act we do each week shapes us into those people whose life does not deny Christ. Let's pray. Holy God, we give you praise and thanksgiving for the life, sacrifice, and resurrection of your Son. We thank you for servants like Stephen who showed us how to show mercy instead of hate, love instead of fear. And as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we plead for your Spirit to embody us so that our allegiance to you may be firm, our love deep, and our faith true. Amen. Feel free to express your thankfulness and worship God at this time. Final reading today is from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. And coming to him as to a living stone, rejected by men, but choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone. And he who believes in him shall not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they have also been appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray together. 
Holy God, we are grateful for this week, this week that began with storms and began in darkness. We are grateful for the promises of your light. We are grateful for all of your promises. We are grateful for the week that is to come. We pray that you will guide us and lead us and strengthen us so that this week may be a week where we rely more on your promises that this may be a week where we show the world the love that you have for us, that this may be a week where we continue to grow closer and closer to you. Oh God, you have prepared for those who love you such good things that surpass our understanding. Pour into our hearts such love towards you that we, loving you in all things and above all things, may obtain your promises which exceed all that we can desire. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Good morning, Ackland Avenue. Brad Knapp bringing you the announcements on this Sunday, May 10th. We're going to start out with a bunch of celebrations. We are celebrating our mothers today. I see that we have a few extra here in the audience celebrating with their kids and their grandkids. Welcome, and we hope that you're having a blessed day. We've got Abigail up here waving to her mom. Oh, and that cute little baby girl. Yeah, say hi. All right, she's getting shy all of a sudden. Well, we are celebrating the mothers. They've done so much for us in life. They're helping guiding us, looking good, uh, keeping us straight. Make sure you're sending some love out there to them today. Kids, especially you, extra hugs, extra high fives, maybe do something nice for them, okay? We're going to continue the celebrations by celebrating some anniversaries this week. We've got Mark and Shelly Schmidt with four years. We've got Danny, Ray, and Nancy at 16 years. Robbie and Randy, 22 years. And then the big winners this week is Dave and Christy Wagner with 23 years. Congratulations to all of you. Danny and Ray, Danny, Ray, and Nancy take it up a notch this week by celebrating with their son Jeremy and his college decision. Jeremy has chosen Cumberland University just outside of Nashville here. We are so thrilled and happy for him. We look forward to celebrating with him, Jade, and Charlie later this summer as we celebrate our seniors. Oh, here's here's an interesting one. I, I know that uh, we've got a lot of people that have been um, uh, affected by the strong winds the, the, the past couple days and earlier this week. Uh, and some of them might still be without power, so we want to remember them. I know that I've seen a strong reach out for, for help, and if you need help, please let the, the church know so that we can figure out how we can partner together to make sure you're supported. Well, one person took it up a notch to share kind of what they're going through and uh, made it to Fox News Channel 17, and that is Amy Allison. Amy, I had no idea, and I wouldn't have picked you out of everybody else to make it. So uh, congrats, I guess. Thanks for sharing your story. Also want to remind people of a few other things. We've got the middle school trivia is postponed this week. Um, for so that you can spend more time with your mothers. Yep, that's Abigail. Mommy day, not daddy day. Uh, so anyway, uh, a reminder that middle school trivia postponed this week, and that'll be going again next week. We do have small groups as well, a chance for you to connect. 
um, especially in this time and making sure that uh, you are being supported, whether through prayer, uh, just fellowship and connecting. So if you are not connected, please um, reach out and we can get you connected. We do, uh, or I do want to remind people of a variety of things to keep in your prayers. Tyra Higgins, uh, her husband Don passed away this week, and so we want to remember her. If you have the opportunity to send her a note, uh, to to just send her something uplifting, or your thoughts, please do so. Also want to remember our deaf community. Uh, thank you, Lacey Beatty, for all the work that you're doing in creating masks and others that have helped and are involved in that. Nancy, thank you for sharing the need and how we can help out. We want to remember our homeless community. Uh, we've got a variety of shelters set up. Paul uh, in the room at the end is doing a lot in the mission, etc. Uh, and they're, they're struggling with the COVID as well. Uh, and we want to make sure we remember them because uh, they're affected uh, just as much as the rest of us. Uh, and a lot of what they got support-wise isn't as readily available just due to the uniqueness of what's going on. Uh, and we also want to reach out to those or remember those in prayer who don't have community. Uh, I, I see this in some of my coworkers. Uh, I see this in my own family to where if you didn't have a community like Ackland Avenue, you're a little lost when you're not getting to connect uh, with people on a daily basis. So this is an opportunity for us to reach out, for us to share love and maybe spend a little extra time uh, supporting. Well, Ackland, that's all I've got this week. Be on your pr- in your closets, on your faces, praying, uh, and make sure you're connecting. Love you guys. Bye. You've been listening to 900 Ackland Avenue, the podcast for the Ackland Avenue Church of Christ. If you'd like more information about our community, our church website is http colon slash slash org. Thanks again for joining us. God bless.